Uh, let's spend a moment in praying for Israel, and then um, we'll get into our study. God, thank you so much for your people. Thank you for Israel. Thank you that <clears throat> they're the apple of your eye, Lord, that they, they are your people. We know, God, that as, as the time uh, starts ticking to an end, Lord, in this world, that, that Israel is going to be uh, more of an intensified area, that, that we know that the, the world comes against Israel, Lord. And, and God, we just pray, Father, that you would have your hand upon the human lives that are involved there, Lord. We ask that even in your will, in your midst of, of, of something that, like what's going on in Israel, that you can save people, Lord. You can save people supernaturally, and so we just ask, Jesus, that you would provide for them, Lord, that you would save Palestinians, Lord, from hell as well, Lord. God, that you would have your hand upon this, this war that's in Israel in, in the name of Jesus, that you would just do a great work there, Lord. God, that you would help uh, believers that are there to, to stand for you, Lord. We just pray that you would just take the scales from the eyes and hearts of people who don't know you. Lord, that you would use this situation to draw people unto you, not only in Israel, but here, Lord, in, in the States, Lord. God, that you would wake your church up, Lord, to the reality that you're coming back soon. God, thank you so much for your love. Thank you that we can pray. And Lord, we do, we ask that you would bring peace to Israel, Lord, that you would bring peace that comes from you. Lord, I believe that you can have peace upon people even in the midst of a treacherous situation. And so we ask, Jesus, that your peace that transcends all understanding would fall upon Israel, Lord, and that people would look to you, Lord, that there would continue to be evidence of miracles happening there, of people being protected physically even, Lord. We just thank you for that. We thank you for the privilege, Lord, to be able to pray for Israel and just give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, today we're gonna be in John chapter 6, <clears throat> verse one through 14, and I'm, I'm gonna pray really quick for our message, and then um, I'd like us to read the scripture together. Jesus, thank you for your word that it never turns back void. Just ask that you would remove me from the equation, that you would prepare our hearts and minds for what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Somebody will bring a Bible to you. We have, I think, five left. So if, uh, Roy, if you could grab a Bible really quick. If you don't own a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, um, this is your Bible to keep. Um, we have some more that we have to order. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's yours if you don't own a Bible at home. <clears throat> so today we're gonna be in John chapter six. And if you, if you can stand, it'd be awesome so we can read the word together. <clears throat> John chapter six, verse one. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. 
Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number of about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you so much for the privilege that we get to hear from you today. And I just ask, Lord, again, that you would write upon the tablets of our hearts, Lord, the truth of you, and that you would remove me from the equation, Lord. Anything spoken that's not of you would fall away. And Lord, that none of us, including myself, would leave this place today missing out on what you have for us in this moment in time. Thank you and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You know, walking through this building this morning, I had to do a couple of different things, and, and it, you know, I, 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 I tend to be a critical thinker, and my eyes always go towards um, imperfections. Like, if a picture's crooked, it bothers me. I have to make it straight. Um, and so, like, you know, there's little things around this building that just, I, I see, okay, well, that needs to get done, that needs to get done. And, and what's interesting is I was, you know, looking at that, I had a thought about how, you know, the church building can symbolize who we are as people. And we as people have imperfections. And the beautiful thing is that God works with imperfections. And so, because, and I was thinking in the contrast of some church buildings where everything looks perfect and everything looks clean and, and everything seems to have its, like, you know, order because we're in a, a, a day and age where, you know, uh, visual performance and perfection is seen a lot in church buildings. And that goes through the history. You know, you look at all the murals and all the great cathedrals that were built. And so there's all this grandeur that's tied in with a church building. And, and so I think sometimes it's like we miss the reality is that God's not about church buildings or about perfection. It's about him transforming us. And, and, and yes, I know that the, the cathedrals that were built are symbolizing, you know, the perfection of God and, 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 and heaven and all of those things. But, you know, I, um, I don't live in heaven right now, although that is our destination as Christians. That's where we're promised to go. I live in this broken body that has issues. And so when I walked through the church this morning, I thought about that. I thought, you know, this church building has some imperfections. Like if you look at some of the wood, there's tape on it still. There's staples. I mean, I just pulled nails out of the wall, you know, because this was a county building. I mean, there's a nail over there. Why is that there? You know what I mean? And so it's like we can think in our mind, like, why are these things in our life or these issues or concerns? And I just want to encourage you guys today that God is at work and he wants to change our lives. 
And we may feel imperfect at times, and we may feel like certain things aren't going right, but God is in control, and he, and he loves imperfect people. And we will learn today, his disciples were imperfect men, and they always were missing the point of what Jesus would say, but Jesus would ask him things like when he asked you know, Philip, he could ask him, th- they, he would ask them things to draw what they were thinking or draw things out of their life so that they could actually come to terms with who Jesus is. And so we see here in John chapter 6, 1 through 14, very famous scripture, you know, the five loaves and the, and the two fish. And, and so it's interesting, you know, I'm, again, I've been wrestling with, all right, Lord, what do I teach before Christmas? You know, and, and so somebody suggested, why not do this? You know, the loaves and fishes. And I was like, oh, maybe I will. And so through praying, and I was like, you know what, I think it's a good place to be today. And the title I have on my uh, notes here, I changed the title. Can you go back to the title screen? I kind of thought those fish looked gnarly, though. I looked for better fish, but anyways, um, <clears throat> that one on the bottom looks, I don't know, the eyes are weird to me. So anyways, I changed the title. So, you know, the Lord will provide, and that's a, a, a proven thing, but the title on my, my notes here was, Where You Can't, Jesus Can. And, 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 and this, this section of Scripture, and all throughout Jesus' ministry in the Gospels, we see that as a reality. The Pharisees and Sadducees could not figure out that he was the Messiah because their pride was in the way. You know, the disciples would, would, would tell Jesus he couldn't do things or wouldn't do things or whatever, and Jesus had to correct them, and we even see that type of attitude here. And aren't we like that at times? Or we tell God it's impossible. You can't do that, Lord. You can't fix that. And sometimes it feels that way. But God provides, not only with our physical needs, but emotional, mental. Um, He provides healing. He provides. You know why He provides for us? Because He created us in His image, and He loves us dearly, and we're His kids, Whether you have a personal relationship with Jesus or not today, you're still created in His image, and He wants to have a relationship with you, and He wants to mend brokenness inside of you, and He wants to actually create a peace and and a perfection inside of you that only comes through a relationship with Jesus. And I mean perfection that when you become a, a child of God, when you make Jesus the Lord of your life, He imparts His righteousness into you and sees His righteousness when He looks at you, and He doesn't see the brokenness or the imperfections. I love how when God looks at us, he doesn't see what we see. He sees the finished work in our life. And so we see here in John chapter 6, verse 1, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And so when it said after these things, it's speaking of John's writing the timeline of after what went on in chapter 5. And if you're new to the way we teach here is I just teach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And so we're going to go through the verses. And so we see here, you know, the, the Sea of Galilee, two different names, and the sea where it says the Sea of Tiberias, and uh, the, the city of Tiberias was on another side of the Sea of Galilee, and so that's why the notation is there. And then verse 2, we see that there's a great multitude following him, and so in this scripture, we see that there's a multitude of people, we see the disciples, and we see Jesus, and then there's a little boy there. In the other Gospels, it doesn't necessarily say little boy or a boy with his, you know, but it mentions that they found or had five loaves 
and two fish. And I love that about the Gospels. If you read them in, in, in succession with each other to combine, you see how, you know, and, and some people dispute these things. Well, if, how come there's differences between them? Well, if four of us saw a car wreck, four of us would not say exactly what we all saw. It's just normal. It's the way we see things. So just because John writes a little bit descriptive compared to Mark, Matthew, or Luke does not mean that they're not in line with each other. And so we see in verse 2, then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. Praise the Lord that the Lord still heals, actually. Um, but Jesus, his ministry, he was healing people, and there's so many accounts of those things happening. And so you notice that this great number of people followed Jesus only for what? Only for what he could do, not for who he was. How many of us in this room only follow Jesus for what he can do for us, and we're not really in love with him? We're not really following him for who he is. We only follow him for what he can do for us. So they saw the miracles he had performed and gathered after him because of that. And so we can learn from verse 2 what the attitude of this crowd was towards Jesus. In verse 3, and Jesus went up on the mount, and there he sat with his disciples. It wasn't a mountain. It was probably a hilly area around the Sea of Galilee. And so here he was, you know, with his disciples. In the other gospels, it says that he, he got away to a quiet place with them. Um, Jesus' ministry was extremely intense. Um, if you had, you know, 10,000 people following you on foot all day long, you would have to get away. We see all throughout Jesus' ministry that he would get away and sit with the Father and really seek God the Father's face. He would take time to, to pray, he would take time to, to meditate, to, to have quiet time, and such an example for our own personal lives to be able to get away with the Lord personally. We see in verse 4 where it says, now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Um, it is thought that Jesus had maybe been thinking about the Passover when he gave this, his amazing message in this chapter on the true bread of life, if you read through um, John chapter 6, it's really amazing Jesus speaking about that he is the bread of life. Jesus is life. Without him, you do not have real life. He gives us life that we can never create ourselves. But he's sitting there on this hill, and <clears throat> we see that John just describes that now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near, and this was one of the feasts that God had established in the Old Testament. But notice how it is titled, A Feast of the Jews. Uh, yes, the feast was established by God for his people, which were the Jews, but most likely at this time, uh, they would have been performing the feast out of religious ritual for themselves and not heartfelt adoration towards God. And that can happen in our lives as we have a religious, liturgic type of relationship with God, and it's just in the process, and we really have no adoration anymore for Him. I was talking with my friend Austin the other day, and he asked me the question, you know, how's your walk with the Lord? And, and I told him, I go, it just feels like it's just this, I'm just going through the motions, man. And he prayed for me that, you know, that my personal walk with Jesus, that I'd be in love with Him the way I should be. 
And I think that that's just a normal thing in our process as Christians. You know, we can go through, you know, the motions of all these different, you know, things, you know, study the Word, especially for somebody who weekly teaches. You know, it's like you're just going through this process of studying to teach, and, and I, I do have a quiet time with the Lord, but it's just, it hasn't been sweet lately, and so it's pretty neat that he asked that question. I believe that was the Holy Spirit prompting him to inquire that about me. <clears throat> I'm glad I was able to be honest with him, too. So it's possible, you know, that, you know, where we see where John wrote in, uh, where it said, now the Passover feast of the Jews, notice that it's not a feast of the Lord or anything. Uh, it's maybe why the statement says that it's a feast of the Jews, because now it was just really about themselves performing something and not adoration towards God. And we see in verse 5 and 6, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, being Philip, testing Philip, for he himself, being Jesus, knew what he would do. It's important to understand that this all took place as the day was ending. In the other Gospels, it speaks about how the day is coming to an end. And they were in a desolate place also. They were away from you know, where food could have been gotten, you know, readily, and you had 5,000 men there, not including women and children. Whenever you see, you know, a, a, a number of people, I don't, it just, it was customarily, you know, it was customary for them to count the number of men, not the women and children, and that's not negating their importance. We know that women have a very um, prominent importance throughout Scripture, <clears throat> but it just was the way the culture was. And they didn't have small families, I assume, back then. You know, when you had, you had a lot of, there weren't technology, so everybody had a, a working family, you know. And so majority of families probably had a, a, quite a few children. And so uh, just think of one man and one wife and three kids, and you can get the number as an estimate of how many human beings were there. So Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing the multitude coming, and saying this to, to Philip, it, testing him, you know, he, he, here he, he's asking him this question. And like I mentioned in the other Gospels, uh, the Gospel of Mark, we see the evidence of the time and distance from food, plus the attitude of the disciples. In Mark chapter 6, verse 35 through 36, speaking of the same, this is Mark's account. It says, when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread for they, were, for they, for, for they have nothing to eat. Isn't that the attitude of us as human beings? Whenever something comes up, we don't want to deal with it. We want to send people away, go away. I love how, you know, in the Bible we have this, this snapshot of real human selfishness, even in people that walked with Jesus, saw the miracles, knew who he was, and it's just a great mirror of me and of you, of, of, of our tendency to push people away when God's really calling us to draw people into our lives to minister to them or to pray with them or to, to be available to them. In the other Gospels, when Jesus looked upon them and said that he had, um, I'm not going to misquote it, 
But Jesus, when he noticed the people, though, he, 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 his attitude wasn't the way that the disciples' attitude was. He, he had compassion on people. That's actually what it's in. He had compassion. He wanted people to, 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 to be um, a part of his life. He didn't look at people and, and think that they were bothersome or a trouble. In other gospels, the children would come around Jesus, and this isn't in this testament, this te- this text right here. But he, the the disciples would want to sh- shoo the ch- children away, and Jesus wanted, said, "Don't suffer them." You know, I I want them, and and that's how the Lord is with us. He doesn't want to shoo you away. He wants you by his side because he loves you. God doesn't take things away from our life; he adds things to our life and removes the things that don't add life to our life. We see also in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus told his disciples, you give them something to eat. So I didn't write, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't put that portion here, but if you go to Mark and read through it, Jesus said, you give them something to eat. After they complained, you do it. Sometimes we want God to fix something, God to fix something. We pray and pray and pray, but the reality is, is God saying, you go do it. Jesus could have just made people have Chick-fil-A. He's outside of time and space and all that. He could have done anything he wanted to do. He's God. And so when we see these things, when he, when, he, when he interacts with his disciples, it's because God interacts with us and asks us to be involved in what God wants to have happen. Maybe manna was Chick-fil-A. I don't know. In the Old Testament. Anyways, I'm getting off track. <clears throat> But in, in, in John, where we're given some specific details, so in, in Mark, all that is accounted for, Mark was just like, well, Jesus just told us, give him something to eat. And in John, though, John's more descriptive, and it says, you know, this, these details that when Jesus spoke to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? In Mark, we don't see that question. It just says, go get, give him something to eat. Jesus questioning Philip not to hear Philip's answer. I think that's fascinating as well because Jesus knew the answer already. Jesus was not in need of guidance from Philip. God doesn't need us to guide him. Jesus asked this question to reveal the depth of Philip's faith or the lack thereof. As we see Philip's answer, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. We see here that Philip's, we see here in Philip's answer, Philip was like, there's no way we could possibly feed all of these people. Not even, and, 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 and a denarii would have been a whole day's worth of work, okay? <clears throat> lost my place. Yeah. We wouldn't even be able to feed all these people. Not even 200 days worth of wages would be able to feed all of these people. So that's what Philip was saying. There's no way, Lord. This isn't going to happen. Isn't that how we are, though? God asks us for, to do something or there's a task, and we tell God, there's no way. It ain't happening. 
like the title on my page here, where we can't, God can. Where we can't, Jesus can. There's a typical human answer when we are faced with the impossibility of things. No way, God, that's not happening. That's impossible. That's exactly what Philip was saying. We see in verse 8 and 9, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, "Uh, there's this lad here uh, who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Could you imagine that? 5,000 people, men, not including women and children. Jesus there, he says, hey, you know, go find some food. And then your buddy's like, we got some like five loaves and two fishes. How many of us would be like, you're dumb? How's that going to work? You're you're wasting my time even coming with this insufficient stuff. Why don't you just let the little boy eat, right? Isn't that, I would think that. And even in Andrew's description, he even says, "What, what good is this? What are these among so many? In other words, how in the world is this even going to work? I, you know, it's, but, he, but, but it was pointed out. What if Andrew was just siding with Philip? Oh, you know, forget it. How many of us do that? We side with the negative person instead of siding with the person that actually encourages us to continue on and walk with Jesus. See, I'm the type of person where my glass is always half empty. It's just, it's unfortunate. I probably would have been like Philip. There's just no way this ain't happening. But I'm so glad that there's other people in my life that can say, hey, look, there's something over here. Let's give this to the Lord because that's what happens next. See, Andrew was aware of this little boy that happened to have five loaves of bread and two small fish. And again, we see in Andrew's comment, what are they among so many? In other words, here is this small amount of food, but what does it matter? The need is too great compared to this. This is impossible. We can't do this. Then verse 10. Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Isn't that interesting? Why would Jesus say, make them sit when there isn't a solution yet? Because he knows what he's doing. And the limit of a small amount is, does not limit God. And see, if you really look into the context of the way this all unfolded is that really Jesus already knew what was going to happen. He knew what was going to happen before he stepped into human form. Jesus is 100% God. He became 100% God and 100% man. We know that Jesus in John, in the beginning of John, it speaks about him being the creator Jesus knows everything. And he's God in man's form and we see him in the gospels because it gives us a tangible evidence of who God is. And God knows everything. And he sees everything. And he understands everything. 
and he can take the little things that we have in our life and he knows what needs to be added and what needs to be taken away so that we're taken care of. And he knows how to operate with human beings that have doubt, like his disciples. Now his disciples didn't give up. And I love that too, that this gives us a good snapshot of that God communicates back and forth. He's not some angry person up in heaven with his thumb waiting to smash us with lightning bolts. God's word says that he is love, like literally love. Jesus said that he was life, like literal. If you want to experience real love and real life, you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. You'll be given an opportunity today, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, uh, God's asking you to do that today. There'll be me and a few people up front. We would love to pray with you today. Make today the day that you're reborn. God's word tells us that the old is gone and the new has come. When, when you give your life to Jesus, he transforms you inside instantly and then starts adding to your life greatness. And you hear me say, you know, life is not a bowl of cherries. It's not peachy keen. It, just because you're a Christian, you know, it doesn't get easier. Sometimes it gets more difficult. Sometimes it's the Lord asking you to do something like he did with these disciples, and they're like, what do you you mean? We can't feed these people. We can't do this. What do you mean I need to stop hanging out with these people? What do you mean I need to stop thinking this way? What do you mean I need to start doing this with my money? But the reality is, is that when Jesus starts asking us things or the Holy Spirit starts working in us, it starts revealing areas of our life that we need to just lay down. And Jesus has a plan, just like when the disciples, you know, here's this bread, here's this fish from this little boy's lunch, basically. Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, verse 10, in in number of about 5,000. Jesus tells his disciples to make all the people sit down. They were in a nice area with grass, So it was comfortable. This is how the Lord is. He desires to take care of us. He desires to give us a place where we can find rest for our weary souls. These people had been following Christ, and I'm sure they were tired. It was towards the end of the day, and here's Jesus guiding his disciples to lead these people to a place of relaxation and clean on the grass. It wasn't mud or dirt. And we see that there were 5,000 men, not including the women and children that accompanied the 5,000 men. So there was a huge amount of people. Could you imagine being there, a disciple of Jesus, him saying to you, you find food for them. Then your friend says, hey, there it is, a little boy over there with a small lunch. Then Jesus says for you all to make the people sit for what? Five loaves and two fish? The anticipation of of Jesus to do something must have been immense. 
I'm sure the disciples are like, okay, we're just, God's going to, here goes Jesus again. And what happens next is nothing but amazing. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, and as much as they wanted. Jesus blessed the food. One of the commentators when I was studying wrote that if Jesus Christ blessed the food, then shouldn't we do the same for our meals, thanking God for his provision in our lives? That's why we pray before we eat. Jesus took, the boys insi- Jesus took this boy's insignificant amount of food and gave thanks for it, then handed it to his disciples who handed it out to all others that were sitting down. No one knows when the multiplication exactly happened. But it did, and it happened in such a great, it happened in such a great way that all of the 5,000 men, all of the women, all of the children, all of them only got a little, right? No, look what Scripture says, as much as they wanted. It was like a buffet. It was like Mongolian barbecue. <laughs> it was like all-you-could-eat sushi, It was like whatever your favorite food would have been, you could just eat until you were done. We don't know how many courses they had. It just says until they, as much as they wanted, as they wanted. And it's important for us to understand that when the Lord starts moving in our lives and when it comes to the well-being of us and being taken care of, God does not, he's not keeping things from us. That's not who he is. He's a God of blessings, okay? I've never seen a person who is serving God with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength to love him and and their family. I've never seen them in want. I've never seen them on the streets, ever, never, ever. I've seen them blessed, not with riches, not with Rolls Royces or Mercedes, but their needs are met, and then some. I'm sure all of us can go home and say, you know what, Lord, I'm glad I have a roof. Maybe some of you don't, and if you don't, please get with me and we'll figure something out. But I I, I tend to look at the things in my life, and I'm like, God, why, look at these, like, why, we don't need these things. There's things in my life that I don't need, that if, you know what, it wasn't there, I wasn't gonna die, And I didn't strive to get it. I love Ian's ducks. Tell Patty hi. (laughs) And I'm not saying that if you give your life to the Lord that you're going to have tons of riches. I'm not saying that. That's not what I'm saying. But I've never seen someone following the Lord that is without and if they are, then it's, they're still satisfied inside. There's been tons and hundreds and hundreds of missionaries throughout the world. They have nothing. But you know what? They'd say, I don't need anything because I'm fully satisfied. And so the blessing doesn't necessarily even have to be physical things because Jesus completes us. And the other thing is, is that you can't outgive God You know, I have a, a, a praise report, you know, we have elder meetings, you know, 
And, and part of that is going over all the finances and making sure that, you know, we're not going into the poorhouse or whatever. Or closing the church, I should say that. And so when we moved here, we were very, it was a step of faith. And our board meeting, we looked at it and we, it's like, we're okay. And we're not begging for money and we're not having some, you know, campaign. Like the, you know, the, the HVAC units on this place. God's going to provide it. God knew they were broke. God knew they were broken 20 years ago. Whatever. And I love how this scripture really reveals who Jesus is and who we are and that we just need to trust him. And, and how he, because really this story isn't really about the loaves and fishes. I mean, it is, but it's not. <clears throat> it's about the Lord providing the needs for people. He provides our needs. And sometimes it's difficult to, to trust. It's difficult to, to lean on him. And that's why we need each other, like I taught on a few weeks ago. And the Lord knows what we need. Like the phone call I had. Hey, how's your walk going, Brian? Is, it, is your walk with the Lord sweet? No, pray for me. <laughs> I feel like I'm just grudging along. If that's you today, then you need prayer. We need to be praying for each other. So Jesus takes these loaves and he distributes them and everyone has as much as what they wanted. All of the children, all of the women, all of the men, they had as much as they wanted. In other words, till they were 100% satisfied and then some. We see in verse 12 through 14, so when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. What a testimony of how God overflows and overfills us. Nothing, nothing is, is wasted with the Lord. And even as human beings, you know, we're to be good stewards of whatever God has given us. In verse 14, it says, then those men, <clears throat> when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, I'm sorry, I skipped, therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Verse 14, then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. And so it's a, a beautiful thing that we see here. And it's important to understand this, that people throughout history have tried to say that this miracle was no miracle at all. 
that people that were hiding their that people were hiding their food and all of a sudden felt guilty and started eating their own food. But this is debunked on the fact that if it was only each person's own food, they would not have gathered up so many fragments afterwards. People are selfish and would only have eaten what they have brought, and they would not have had so much left over. Also, if there was not a true miracle that had happened, the people would not have said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. And like I had mentioned a minute ago, the Lord never wastes His provisions that He gives to us. We should not waste what He has provided for us either. As the resources God has given to you, you should use them to their fullest. Nothing is ever lost with Jesus. Nothing. You know, back in my past, you know, life, I felt lost because of me, but when I would come to my senses and get on my knees and confess my sin before the Lord, I wasn't lost anymore because Jesus stands there with open arms waiting for us to come to him. And if that's you today, then you need to do that. Why wait? What's the point? Why wait for anything? Why wait any longer? Why not make Jesus the Lord of your life today if he's not? Why not confess sins in your life that maybe you're burdened with? Why wait? I believe the Lord's knocking on the door of your heart today because he provides. He provides satisfaction inside of us that only he can. He does a work in a person's life that that person can never accomplish in their own life. You know, if you give God just a, a smidgen of your moment of your life, he can do so much greater than you ever could. And it starts with us personally in our life confessing our sin to him. God's Word tells us that all have fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, all of us have sinned. There isn't one of us in this room that is righteous on their own accord. We've all fallen short. The Lord never wastes anything. You know, sometimes I'm filled with so much gratefulness because God has saved me from so much, and that is you as well. But maybe it's not you and you have still to, yet to give God that moment in your, time, in your life. Today's the day of salvation, not tomorrow. We're not guaranteed to go out those doors, get in our car, and safely drive home. Life is short. You don't know when you're going to pass, and I don't know when I am either. But if Jesus is the Lord of your life, he promises that you will be with him when you die, that you will be in heaven with him. That eternal life is given to those that, that trust Jesus with their life. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, something that you cannot do and I cannot do on our own. We cannot. We are like the 5,000 in the destitute place needing to be fed by the Savior. And I am like one of the disciples right now telling you that he has loaves and fishes for your life. 
satisfaction for your life. I don't stand here and preach the gospel or share Jesus for my own posterity. I believe with every fiber in my being that if Jesus is not the Lord of your life, that you need to make him the savior of your life today. Why wait? Why wait? And maybe you're like, you know what, I have these things in my life and I I can't get rid of them and I don't know how to, to, to process that. Well, you know what, Jesus just says, come as you are. He doesn't say process all of it. It's just like Andrew. I don't know, man, there's some, some, some food over here, and Jesus is like, hey, I can work with that. But don't be like Philip and make excuses. There's no way this is going to happen, Lord. I've done too much. My life's too dark. Or maybe you're the kind of person that knows too much about the Lord, and you can't get to him because you're too strong-headed. That's called pride. And this isn't even in my notes. I just feel really impressed that I need to share with you that Jesus loves you and that today is the day of salvation. And the worship team's gonna come up in a minute and, and, and as they come up and they play this last song, if it's you that you, you know that the Holy Spirit's knocking on your heart that something needs to change in your life, then you need to come forward today. Because that means your soul is hungry for a touch from the Lord. And I can't tell you how many times in my life where, where I've come forward and, 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 and you know, out of fear and, and I wasn't sure and I was nervous and, and what is this person going to think of me and all of those horrible thoughts that would keep me from coming to somebody to pray with me and, 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 and I, I put all that aside and I step out in faith and go to that person for them to pray with me and then instantly God heals whatever needs to be touched in my life. He would heal my doubt. He would heal my hurt. He would heal my, my burden of sin. I would leave that altar feeling, feeling filled by the Lord. The Lord never wastes anything. Also in this account, we see that Jesus, <clears throat> we see how humans would look at difficult situations and equate them to being impossible. In our own strength, they are. However, we also see in these verses how Jesus can take something so small and magnify it in such a way as to meet the needs of the impossibility. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Psalm 23, 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be wanting. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 says this, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance of every good work. Only Jesus can create that in us. Did you know that one of the names of of God is Jehovah Jireh? It was when Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac and God provided a ram. And Abraham said, Jehovah Jireh, 
You know what that means? The Lord will provide. And he most certainly does. Did you know that you could have all of the money in the world, but if your soul is not completed by the power of the Holy Spirit through a relationship with Jesus, you will die empty and separated from God for eternity. Jesus wants to have a personal relationship with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And again, life has its difficulties. But Jesus has overcome the world. And what an amazing thing it'd be for you if you don't know the Lord to celebrate Christmas this year complete inside, knowing that God sent his son in a manger with a purpose to die on a cross for your sins. It's amazing what the Lord gives to us. He has such a plan and a purpose. Romans chapter three, verse 23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin is any thought, word, or deed that falls short of God's standard, which is perfection. Sin is missing the mark of perfection, falling short of the target, and we can't make it on our own. We might think, but I'm a good person. In Romans chapter three, verse 10, it says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. No one is able to satisfy God's requirement by their own efforts. None of us are good enough. We're just not. We can't make it on our own. That's why God sent Jesus to, to, to bridge that gap. And you might think, well, now what? Well, what needs to happen now is recognize that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. Jesus died for you and I. Romans chapter five, verse eight says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, God's love for us is so great that he sent Jesus Christ to die in our place when we least deserved it. Maybe you feel today that you don't deserve God's love. Well, that, that's not true. That's why Jesus came, to take that away, to fill you in a way that you can't be filled on your own. And then we're asked to repent from our sins to turn away from our sins. Acts chapter three, verse 19 says, repent therefore and be converted. There's something that happens in your life. Continuing in verse 19, that your sins may be blotted out. When you have a personal relationship with Jesus, your sins are wiped away. God's word says that they're counted as far as the east is from the west. And if you go east, you're never gonna go west. And if you go west, you're never gonna end up going east. If you go north, you'll end up south. If you go south, you'll end up north, but east and west never meet. What God's word is saying is that your sin is thrown away. The burden of it is gone. There is freedom in Jesus. And if you don't have that today, you need it today. Why wait? Repent means to make a complete change of attitude and thought concerning sin and righteousness to stop running from God and decide to run towards him. You need to personally receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
Receiving Jesus does not happen by attending a church service or listening to a sermon. You need to invite Jesus into your heart through prayer. He will live in your heart and become part of your life. And I'm emotional because God did that with me and with others. Because I know who I was. Revelation chapter three, verse 20 says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Jesus wants to hang out with you inside. He will always be there. So the next thing would be to confess, believe, and receive. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 11 says this, that if you confess with your mouth, in other words, speaking it out. See, God wants some skin in the game with us. Confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. I didn't write this. God did. Verse 10 of Romans 10 says, for with the heart one believes. In other words, with who you are inside. Cheyenne, please don't distract right now. This is the most important piece of this sermon. For the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. If you would like to have a relationship with Christ, come forward. If you've never made a decision for Jesus, Come forward today. You need Jesus. If you have anything in your life that you need to just lay down at the foot of the cross, I'm just opening the front today. Maybe that's why my sermon was short. But don't let this moment pass you by. There will be men in Gina, even if you have to, I don't know if you're singing the last song, but if, uh, what? Okay, thank you. There will be men and women up front to pray with you, and I will too. But if you'd like to have a relationship with Christ, you can raise your hand right now and pray this prayer. If there's anybody here, if you know Jesus personally, praise the Lord means we're all going to heaven. But the prayer's like this, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe you died for my sins right now. I turn from my sins and I open the door of my heart and life. I confess you as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me, amen. You have to remember that the prayer is not just what happens, it's through the belief and confession that we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, that he was raised three days later, and believe that we're in need of a Savior. Maybe you prayed this just now. I'm going to close. God, thank you so much for your word. And as the worship team plays, Lord, I just ask that you would draw us unto you. 
Holy Spirit, that you would just bring conviction. And if anybody needs prayer, that they come forward to pray, Lord. God, your word says that that the prayer of a righteous man avails much. And we just thank you for this opportunity, Lord. Just thank you. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.